What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Keeping Stock Sneaker Podcast. And thanks for the great feedback on last week's episode with Drew Hamill of Nike Stories. We've had some great guests. I'm going to continue to push to get great guests. And I'm glad to see that you guys enjoyed those episodes. This week, we're going to continue down the path of espionage, trickery, and everything in between as we dive into the second part of the counterfeit sneaker world. If you haven't listened to part one, that might help set the foundation a bit more. That's in the show notes below. A quick synopsis of part one. We went over how counterfeit sneakers are made, how they get the designs, where they're made, what is stopping counterfeit manufacturers from being stopped, and a few more details here and there. But before we get into the main topic of today, just want to remind you that Keeping Stock is uploaded every Sunday on all major platforms. If you do enjoy the show, make sure to leave a rating, follow, or subscribe on your favorite platform. And with all that being said, let's hop right into it. Now that we know how fake sneakers are made, the big question is how are they being shipped into the USA? How are we not catching it in US customs? That's a good question. When these sneakers are shipped from Putian or wherever they may be made, they are then transformed into essentially a whole nother product on paper. These manufacturers and suppliers are creating fake employee identification numbers for tax purposes, for business names. They're creating fake addresses, fake names. They're always shuffling so that if these do happen to get caught, it doesn't take down their entire organization. It might take down one alias. So if you imagine these counterfeit manufacturers as Kaiser Sose, they're always working different angles. The biggest angle being when they ship into the United States, what is on the manifest for the shipping containers? And these are the giant 40-foot shipping containers full of replica counterfeit goods, sneakers, purses, whatever it may be. Obviously, if it said on the manifest, replica Air Yeezy 2s, fake Yeezy 350s, Virgil Off-White replicas, it would be easy for companies to shut those down. But what they do is label these as household goods. So fans, trash bins, vases, computers. This allows them to say, oh, look, they do come in these large boxes. This doesn't bring up any odd information or description. And so they'll open, you know, the couple fake boxes in the front that might have actual fans or actual trash cans and pass that through customs. From customs, the destination on that manifest is also false. So it may be saying it's going to a certain company or facility or address, but in all reality, it's being diverted to a small storage unit or a few small units, where from there, they're taking the product in these large quantities and breaking them down or breaking bulk to a couple hundred pairs for each destination. That makes it easier to sell these products in the U.S. as you're sending out a hundred pairs to your guy in Southern California, the Pacific Northwest, the Midwest, instead of housing all of your product in one area, just in case you do get raided or one link breaks. 
you're not losing your entire revenue stream. This happens over the course of a ton of shipping containers. We just mentioned one container, but it could be on various boats. It could be 10 containers linked to one person. But in this bus that happened recently, they were able to identify 129 containers to one organization. These containers are obviously linked over time. Certain attributes gave them the ability to say, this organization or this ring, counterfeit manufactured products, is being created and shipped from, and this may be who's in charge. So, this is the story. February 2012, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol had noticed this ring or organization appearing on their radar as they're seeing an influx of counterfeit goods coming in. Over the next few years, they identified 16 seizures from this ring. So that could be anywhere from a couple containers to just one to 15. However, that's over a couple years. So there is a large portion of unidentified counterfeit goods slipping in under the U.S. Customs and Border Protection noses. But in 2018, so six years later after identifying this ring, they got their first big lead. Someone had pleaded guilty to a federal counterfeiting charge. Part of their plea deal, they started to provide information to the Homeland Security. Then this person, their cooperating defendant, gave Homeland Security a phone number to someone known as Ray. After cross-checking this phone number across various databases, they linked this with a 2017 U.S. tourist visa application submitted by a Chinese national name, Fu Zhang. Obviously, since this was a U.S. tourist visa application, Zhang provided an address in Shenzhen, Guangdong, and claimed he was a general manager of an investment firm called Shenzhen Andrewson Investment. However, that company was unable to be found. Now they know their target, so they have to set a trap. This cooperating defendant, or the CD, met with a few individuals, an investigation labeled Individual 1, 2, etc. So the CD, the defendant, met with this individual in New York and gave this individual a phone number to a burner phone and essentially said, I need to speak with so-and-so in China. An individual one is the middleman, gives him a phone number to the defendant's burner phone and says, have individual number two in China, give me a call. Then once individual two reached out, he said, here's Zhang's whereabouts and said, he's actually in Argentina. After getting this information and passing this number along to Zhang, Zhang then called the defendant and gave him instructions to purchase a burner phone with a phone number in a California area code. I would assume they picked this California area code due to the population density and the turnover of phones in the area and recent privacy protections. Once they talked, Zhang provided the defendant with an email address and password to a company called tatuncorp.com, which this domain was very similar to tatang.com, which belongs to an actual paper goods company with operations in China and the US. Then Zhang further provided the defendant with information of another 40-foot shipping container coming from China that would be arriving in Los Angeles. And as we touched on earlier, 
This manifest said this container had 11,000 kilos of paper napkins. So logically, federal government intercepted this container and found in the front two decoy boxes of general shoes run-of-the-mill that normally pass customs first glance, but the rest was filled with counterfeit Nikes. And so they took a small sample of this and then sent the container on its way to let Zhang not find out that they're on his trail. Then Zhang texted the defendant another email address saying Tom and Excelink.com. Then in April, Zhang sent the defendant another new email address for the defendant to use as Tom at CYSXLinc.com, which is very similar to a real company that provides decorative glass. Their emails are typically CYSXL.com, so no ink. Very similar. Might be tough to see. That's normally how people get fished. After corresponding, this then said another 40-foot shipping container was set to arrive in Newark, New Jersey on June 1st. This one listed with 1,100 glass vases. Once again, the federal agents found a few rows of generic sneakers, then the rest filled with fake Nikes. Again, they seized some for evidence and sent it on its way. And then in July, he sent another 40-foot container from Hong Kong to New Jersey. This manifests once again for 1,100 boxes of glass vases from CYSXL. This time, it wasn't only filled with just fake Nike sneakers, but counterfeit Louis Vuitton sneakers as well. For the third time, took a few for evidence and sent it on its way. Then, Zhang flew from Seoul, South Korea to Vegas on December 4th. During this time, prosecutors filed their criminal complaint on December 6th, keeping it secret so that Zhang would not find out once he came into the country and then try to flee. And lastly, on December 27th, the federal agents arrested Zhang just outside of Washington, D.C. Right now, that court case is still going on. There's no end results. But at this point, they think Zhang has helped smuggled around 385,000 pairs of fake Nikes, Jordans, etc., which could cost Nike $70 million in lost revenue, maybe even more depending on the colorway or the silhouettes involved. But that's how fake sneakers get into the U.S. They pose under very standard things. They put in generic shoes in the front, hope the glance gets it by. And as you can tell, this took agents a little while to get the evidence and not tip off Zhang that they were trying to prosecute and capture and shut down this ring. But as you know from the first episode, just because you take down one doesn't mean someone else steps in. I'm sure he had a very large team helping him. 354,000 sneakers is quite a bit, and this is only going to be a learning experience for them. However, this might set some precedence for U.S. Customs when checking containers or looking for counterfeit goods, and maybe sneaker companies are going to step in a little bit harder after this case. Because at the end of the day, $70 million is a good amount of money, especially when you compare it in times like today, where $70 million for struggling companies or $70 million in sales might help them keep a few more employees on board or help them continuing to innovate products. That's where replica and counterfeit sneakers really cut into those companies is 
those small amounts add up over time. Overall, that's the counterfeit world of sneakers exposed. I hope you guys picked something up during these two parts and enjoyed the wild journey that counterfeit sneakers go on and how they're created. I had a great time looking into the world of counterfeit sneakers. There's a ton of YouTube videos and a ton of articles that I scoured. I'll put some of my favorite in the show notes below if you are interested. As always, I appreciate you guys for listening. After the break, we're going to hop into some cool content, upcoming sneaker releases. Recently, as more and more states have begun to open up from their staying home, shelter-in-place mandates, sports have begun to progress as well. And some of the content I saw this week around sports, more specifically the NBA, has been very interesting. They're proposing that they go straight into the playoffs in either Disney in Florida or Vegas, and the top eight seeds from each division make it in. However, there has been some word around the league, more vocally, Damian Lillard of the local Portland Trailblazers up here. Logically, to me, I think at this point and timing-wise, if they do want to start in July or end of July or beginning of August, that you kind of have to go straight into the playoffs because that just starts pushing out the season after that. And then you start cutting into your TV revenues and ticket sales as you'll start directly competing maybe with baseball or football, depending on how that season shifts or you cancel the summer league, rest time changes. There's a lot of variables I think the NBA is trying to balance, but at the end of the day, I hope they do bring back the playoffs in the summer. I think where we're at now with basketball or this past season with this layoff, playoffs could be very interesting. The flow might be a little bit different, but you know everyone's healthy. So maybe after the first round rust shakes off, that second round, third round, and finals could be phenomenal with everyone healthy for the first time in any playoffs in a while. In addition to cool content, I just ordered a book called Sneakonomic Growth, which I'm very excited to see what this book entails. It essentially talks about the scarcity in storytelling and the arrival of sneakers as an asset class. Once I finish the book, maybe I'll try to get the author on, but it's something that really piqued my interest and I'm looking forward to sharing with you guys down the road. With all that being said, let's hop into upcoming sneaker releases for May 31st through June 6th. So for the first week of June, what we're going to see here is a Nike Daybreak and a Nike Women's Blazer and a Nike Men's Blazer on June 1st. One of the men's blazers being the mid-77 with the red and blue snakeskin swooshes, mainly white with a blue or red swoosh in snakeskin. We also see a question low with patent leather and fluid blue. I'm not a big question low guy. Still looking for some highs, maybe for an outdoor hoop shoe or those nice kicks ones come out and I'm lucky to score a pair. But for lows, not so much for me. We also start seeing some Air Force One Lows, we see a React, we see a shadow white and pink for women, and then we see an added air white Air Force One low, which has the air logo that's normally on the heel also right above it. We get to see the Adidas Ultra Boost Pride on June 1st. So quite a few June 1st releases for the start of summer. But in terms of heavy hitters, 
not much overall. I mean, Adidas is coming out with a slew of things on June 1st, right? So I just mentioned the Ultra Boost Pride, but they also have a couple Nizzas, a Harden, a NMD, Stan Smith, Superstars, Puma's coming out with some Ralph Sampson's, New Balance has quite a few for their Pride collection, Reebok has another Question Low and Vivid Orange. I mean, there's a ton of sneakers set to release on June 1st. The Nike Air Trainer 3 Viatech, which I love the silhouette. The color's a little too hard for me to pull off, being in that kind of Viatech violet purple upper with the yellow on the midsole and swoosh and gray lace holders. But once again, a cool model if you're, you know, you can think you can pull off that look. The one I may try to go after here is the Nike LeBron 17 Graffiti. Always been a LeBron guy, like this colorway, don't have any 17s, maybe the one to pick up. And then on the 6th, we have the Air Jordan 3 Animal Instinct. Not a huge fan of this this version. I have the first version, but I don't know if it's the materials or the color blocking. Not a huge fan of this Jordan 3 Animal Instinct, but that comes out on June 6th. We get an Air Force One low Drew League, which was unfortunately the Drew League was postponed due to the unforeseen and unknown of COVID. But this is an all white Air Force One with Drew League on the heel. We see an all black Dame Six in leather and an Air Force One jewel in the home and away gray and then in the black colorway. And that'll do it for that first week of June packed with a ton of pride releases from adidas and new balance and just summer shoes in general as states begin to open up and you can see some retailers going to start pushing some product when people can go in stores and purchase let me know what you're going to pick up or what you're looking forward to in the month of june rumor is that the lebron 7 mvp is coming out retail resale lebron i'm going to try to get it as best as possible I mean, there is a certain price point that I'm not going to go over, but I'm going to try probably my hardest of the year to get the LeBron 7 MVP if it does come out. And if it does come out, that's my sneaker of the year. You heard it there. As always, thank you guys for listening. I'll catch you next Sunday, and I hope you guys enjoy the first week of June.